having to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. That's some gin. Yeah. That it's, is uh, some gin. Specifically, it's gunpowder Irish gin with gunpowder tea in it. I don't really know what that means, <clears throat> but oh I got to tell you. <laughs> Sounds like it's not easy on the throat. That's what I'd say. Well, that's actually probably what I need tonight, given that I'm coming down with something. It's probably like somehow helping me. Yeah. Um, alternately, it's doing the exact opposite. and <laughs> Accelerating your uh, illness. I will say that my throat feels very, very warm right now. Oh, well, I guess that's a plus. It is in this moment because it's cold in my room. All right. Well, welcome once again to Buzzed On Movies. I'm Teddy. And I'm Matt. And we're here to just sort of chill out and talk about some movies, just like you might um, when you run into some weird guys at the bar at the movie theater after the show. Um, It's kind of like that. So just sit back and enjoy. All right. Um, well, to lead off this week, uh, the so the elephant in the room we'll have to address. Uh, last week, we referenced the fact that Kevin Hart had just been chosen to host the Oscars and that there was a little bit of controversy uh, surrounding him. And I said it would probably blow over, pretty much jinxing us to be uh, called out, as we usually are. Uh <laughs> So as both of you doubtlessly know by now, uh, Kevin Hart is not going to be hosting the Oscars. He stepped down amidst the controversy. Basically, the Academy demanded that he apologize for those comments, uh, both on his Twitter and in uh, some interviews he's given over the years. And he refused to do so, saying that... um, basically saying that he he'd apologized for them before and that he changed uh, and that he was no longer that person. And so instead he stepped down and apologized afterwards, which was kind of odd. Yeah. Odd to say the least. Uh, the whole situation was, I mean, a completely just like bungled PR maintenance. I don't even know. Like he, he had a chance to just apologize and probably we could have all moved on. Uh, he could have said that he had been wrong. He's grown, whatever, whatever it, even if he had apologized in the past, it's bizarre to me that you would just refuse to apologize again. What possible harm <laughs> could it do to say, yes, I do regret those statements I made. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, but I thought it was kind of strange because it seemed like he never really did say that he regretted them. Like he just, he kept saying like that. I I'm, I, everybody grows up, everybody changes and stuff like that. But he never specifically up till then said like, I regret having said this in the past. Um, uh, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's never really specific enough to say that he's really apologizing for those comments ever or that he regrets them, which is why people are so upset because it basically feels like he doesn't actually regret them. And yeah. The general attitude is, I mean, if you refuse to apologize and can't apologize for them and can't see why what you said was wrong, probably means that you haven't actually evolved your thoughts at all. Right. And I can't make too many assumptions as to his intentions behind doing this, but it just does seem 
pretty short-sighted not to just apologize if clearly that's what everybody's asking you to do everyone clearly wants that and if you did apologize we could just all move on um as has happened in the past with other similar situations i don't know he had some sort of stance he wanted to take i suppose um and he took it and now once again we are without a host for the oscars so uh let's let's resurrect the oscar host search once again it just seems like nobody wants to do it at this point yeah kind of a (laughs) not to not to get political on here but it's a pretty bleak comparison to trump's chief of staff situation right now (laughs) (laughs) nobody can find anyone to do what they need them to do that is a good Uh, point yeah (laughs) Uh, several key candidates have already said that they uh they don't want the job so um yeah it's basically the same right um the academy (laughs) is definitely just the trump administration uh, (laughs) sidebar don't believe that it's a joke but <laughs> I would hope the Academy's a little bit better. Uh, At least a little bit. They but, did pick Crash to win Best Picture. That's true. But they're they're gonna have to find somebody. They're apparently well, <laughs> they have apparently been entertaining the idea of a hostless Oscars. Right. Uh, which is hilarious and really, really bleak to me. It's like, oh, we couldn't get this. We we found a straight man to do it, and he didn't work out. So I guess there's no one to do it now. What? Uh, <laughs> Nobody. No there's just possibly. no one. You couldn't find a, a a female comedian, a woman of color, a queer person, anyone. You just just no one because this one man didn't work out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Get Neil Patrick Harris again. That'd work well. I mean, uh. I really want to see Ricky Gervais do it, but we know that's never going to happen after what he did at the Globes a few times. No, that's a uh, seems unlikely. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were people uh, campaigning for Patton Oswalt to do it, and um, he basically said he didn't want to do it because he thought there shouldn't be just another straight white man up there hosting, which I think is a fair um, that's a fair way to approach it. And he gave a few alternatives that he thought would be good hosts, which uh, I thought were all pretty excellent. Uh, any of those I think would be fantastic if they're paying attention. The number yes. one, his uh, first one on the list being John Waters, which would be absolutely insane. I feel like the Academy would never in a million years allow <laughs> John Waters on that stage to host their event. It's the only However, way he's going to make it on the stage, <laughs> but he deserves to be up there. He absolutely deserves to be up there. Uh, I would love that. Love it. <laughs> I would look forward to watching it for the ceremony if he were to host it, which God. hasn't happened in a while. <laughs> yeah, I saw him do his um, his Filthy World live show uh, many years ago, and he's really a great live presenter, as well as obviously being just a trove of stories about Hollywood and filmmaking and stuff like that. So he would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be so much fun. Also, uh, on sort of an anarchic um, approach on that list was Eric Andre, who <laughs> um, some have pointed out might be the the last oscars host if that were to take place uh but i couldn't think of a more 
fitting way for the Oscars to end than for Eric Andre to uh, host and basically destroy everything. Oh man, that would be so good. <laughs> I'd be okay with it. Take him out. It's fine. Yeah. Let's, let's go out like in a blaze of fly- fire and glory. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. I mean, hopefully they find somebody who's worth watching. Fingers crossed. Not super optimistic if their reaction to again this one guy not working out is to say maybe we just shouldn't have a host right um i wonder what they would do then for like the the opening is it just like a series of film clips what are we i don't know yeah (laughs) that's like the one big job the host has is the big opening number right that's their thing i mean realistically a lot of the oscars is occupied by like the awards themselves and presenters and performances but yeah you know the obvious choice is a comedian, but um, it's They've so gone hard. Some other routes before, <laughs> yeah. And they they said basically they don't want to do a late night host, which they've done before. Um, a comedian could be good, but it's hard to find one in this day and age who's big enough, uh, who doesn't have some sort of controversy going on right now. And then, I mean, they tried. Uh, what was it? Anne Hathaway and James <laughs> Franco a few years ago. Never uh, forget how insanely uncomfortable we just all were collectively. <laughs> so I don't think they want to do something like that again. They basically need to find someone who's like charismatic enough and has a big enough audience to like hold the whole show together. Right. Uh, it's kind of a tall order. But... It is. And the reality is they do need to be funny. I mean, yeah. it, the opening is meant to be funny. It always is. So right. it it needs to be somebody who's good at that. Uh, so we don't need James Franco <laughs> up there. Um, yeah. <laughs> James Franco in character is alien now. <laughs> but you yeah. know what? They sh- I could handle Anne Hathaway again. What they should do is get the cast of Ocean's 8 to actually collectively host it. I'd be okay with that. That they could, could be do cool. like a, a good heist set opening, and uh, I'd be on board. Anne Hathaway needs redemption for that one time that she did host. <laughs> yeah, well, some people have been uh, sort of passing around the idea of an ensemble hosting it, um, sort of doing like SNL style skits throughout. Which, right. I mean, we'd have to see it to know how well it would work, but I guess it is a possibility. I mean, I assume that if they go the route of not really having a host, that's basically what it'll be anyway. Right. I don't know. It's just, it seems like the Oscars format has gotten pretty stale. So it would be interesting for them to do something a little different this year, especially given that they already have this debacle on their hands. Well, they'll pretty much have to do something different at this point, I guess. So we'll see what happens. I'm, uh, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Let's hope that they can pull something exciting together. In the wake of uh, whatever, all of this fiasco. Yikes. (laughs) Big yikes. Major yikes. But you know what? That's okay. Just a a, a fun week for news (laughs) in the movie world. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, so we we both saw a few movies this week. But we, we didn't really coordinate well enough to have... A lot of movies to talk about like let me see i saw i saw the favorite at my tea service as i said i would uh, i also saw 
Can You Ever Forgive Me, which you have seen, but you saw that a while back, right? Yeah, I saw it a while ago because it's been out here for a while at least. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we both enjoyed it a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, just movie. It's been a while for me to try to really go in depth on it, I would yeah. say. And uh, what did you see this week? So I also saw The Favorite. Uh, I saw that over the weekend. And I mean, I just saw it in an AMC, but you know, nothing as fancy as tea. Although that seems really <laughs> appropriate. So that's awesome. It was, yeah. Um, otherwise, I uh, didn't see too much in theaters, actually. Uh, I did watch a new Netflix classic um, that I can... <laughs> the Princess Switch. Oh, my, God. Uh, new favorite movie. <laughs> um, I'm sure. So... That's pretty much the peak of my week in movie watching, I think. Um, yeah. So I think we'll probably discuss the favorite at some point, but also we kind of have a costume expert we want to bring in on that. So we may uh, push that off a week or two, depending on what we're able to bring together. But for now, I think we're just going to talk about some other movie news this week. There certainly was a lot of it going on. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Got some ranting we can do about some of it, and uh... <laughs> most of it, unfortunately, uh, much like the Kevin Hart news, dropped pretty much immediately after we taped our last episode last week. Uh, so it may be a little stale by the time this comes out, but we'll see. Right. I love that uh, we dropped an emergency episode, and immediately following, a bunch of news broke. Yeah, uh, that was really, really just like great timing on our part. Yeah, sure. Um, sure, it kind of subverts the whole intent to get up to the minute news if they're going to release new news as soon as we've finished our stuff. I suppose we could have anticipated that. It was, what, a Thursday night when we recorded? <laughs> um, right. Friday is a big day for news, it seems. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, although I will say it's not it's that's not really the day for trailer drops and that's what we got on friday we got the new avengers trailer which was one of the big pieces of news that happened right after we recorded so that was kind of i don't think we could have known that right in our defense and there had been uh bubbling that the avengers trailer would come out soon but we didn't know exactly when it was a bit of a surprise as uh as intended i suppose we did get Uh, A little bit of a preview. They didn't show a whole lot, but we, for those who haven't seen the trailer yet, uh, may want to go check it out before they hear the rest of this. But we did get uh, a little bit of insight. So we know that Tony Stark is basically off in space on his own, sort of running out of food and water and oxygen and uh, uh, essentially left for dead. Yeah. we do know that Ant-Man is apparently alive somehow. Wait, wait. Uh, you saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, didn't you? No. <laughs> okay. Well, if you saw Ant-Man and the so, Wasp, you knew that. So Oh, does so that take place after after Ant-Man and the Wasp takes place before Infinity War. However, the post-credits clip takes place concurrent with Infinity War and takes place during the finger snap. Heard around oh, the world. Of course, of course. <laughs> Silly me. Silly me to ignore that timeline. But yeah, so for those of you like me who didn't see Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Ant-Man is alive. And, yeah. um, but none we... of the rest of his team are. Full spoiler alert. I'm sorry. I should have said that first. But um, <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Um, so it is it is actually kind of exciting news. If you've seen the post credit sequence, it actually leaves you pretty terrified for Ant Man. So seeing him in this trailer was kind of like, oh wait, something good must happen. So, ah, uh, yeah, okay. And we do know the uh, the official title of the new installment, which is going to be Avengers Endgame. It's an interesting title. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's the it's there. Yeah, I I guess it means the end of the Avengers. Presumably. But of course it's not. It's just but the it's end of the Avengers as we have heretofore known them, and then we're just going to get the second iteration of the Avengers, right? So, um, so you know, it's it's basically a buzzword, right? But, you know, I mean, who who expected more? We didn't get a whole lot else out of that, but it was kind of fun. It was a good trailer. I mean, it got me ready for it. I'm I'm excited about the movie. Granted, I think I would have been excited about the movie no matter what trailer they put out. Um. But, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I do, I it's. I think it's trying to be more emotional than it was. Tony Stark, like, out in space, like, upset, acting like he's <laughs> about to die, when we all know that, like, as soon as that scene yeah. ends, uh, probably somebody shows up to help him out, like, like immediately following that, so. <laughs> right, um, I don't think, I don't think they're just going to show us Iron Man slowly suffocating, and then, like, everybody else just goes about their day. God, could you imagine if Avengers 4 Endgame is actually that dark? It it takes like a serious turn and we actually just watch Tony Stark just like starve to death in space. Oh, God. I would be like, this was not worth it. This was not worth the like 20 movies that I've invested in. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. Yeah. So presumably that won't be happening, but we'll find out what does happen soon enough. Yeah. So that was exciting. That was a big piece of news this week, I guess. It uh, broke the internet for like a while. It was yeah. on Twitter for like over 24 hours, I swear. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's like a really rough estimate. I just remember every time I opened it, it was like the top thing on like my trending list. And I was like, wow, we're still going. Yeah. Um, but I guess There's it makes sense. This is like the biggest movie phenomenon like of our lifetime, I guess. So, um, yeah. But... There's a lot of other news this week for it to compete with, though. So. It's pretty impressive. That's uh, true. Speaking of other news, we got that Deadpool, the uh, Once Upon a Deadpool edition trailer, uh, the second trailer, I believe, yes. uh, dropped this week. And um, I, um, I want to die. <laughs> yeah. This one was pretty rough, guys. I don't know what to say. Um, this whole, the whole thing with Once Upon a Deadpool in the first place has been kind of confusing to me. I don't know why this edition of the movie exists, why anybody would want to see a PG-13 version of a movie where half of the appeal is how ridiculously over the top and offensive it is. But Right. Deadpool has never been meant to be like family friendly. You're not supposed to be able to bring the whole family to see a Deadpool movie. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. I do think it's pretty funny that, I mean, the Fred Savage bit could be very, very funny. Yeah. Sort of like playing on the Princess Bride and bringing bringing him in to like make it like this family-friendly little storytelling thing. Um, I don't know. It could work in an ironic sort of way. Yeah. Um, that that uh, conceit is pretty clever, I think. It's kind of fun. But yeah, it is basically... The entire reason the movie exists is for irony, pretty much a PG-13 version of 
like one of the hardest R superhero movies it's ever been. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to ironically spend $14 and ironically spend two hours to see this version of the movie. Absolutely not. That will not be happening. Um, if it's ever available on like streaming or something, sure. But uh, I'm not about to go out and sit in the movie theater for this. Yeah. But this get, getting back to the trailer in particular, um, this one engages in quite a heinous bit of thought crime uh, known as uh, Nickelback apologism. I just can't believe <laughs> that we live in this timeline. I will say that if anybody's going to defend Nickelback, it seems like it would be Deadpool somehow. But yeah. I we really had to watch that happen. That happened before my very eyes. And I watched it like four times in a row because I kept thinking that maybe when I watched it again, I wouldn't actually see Fred Savage and Deadpool singing Nickelback in unison. <laughs> However, I did. It just kept happening. Uh, so that was really jarring and also alarming. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we get it. Maybe Nickelback isn't literally the devil, but it's also not great. There's really oh. no need no need to defend it. Um, and basically the argument that is laid out in the trailer just sort of boils down to hey, they've sold a lot of albums and they've won some awards, which is like, yeah, okay. So that so of a lot of other crappy bands and the uh, awards and music mean basically nothing. I mean, who really gives a crap about a Grammy? But also, it's funny. I mean, like, I mean, most people collectively agree that Transformers movies are terrible, but they consistently make a ton of money. So I don't know what yeah. they really think they're trying to prove here. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, it it appeals to a wide audience, and yeah, it, like. It's fun on a certain level, but it's it's all filler, basically. You know, it's it's it doesn't rise to the point of excellence. And yeah, how you remind me is kind of a fun song to sing along with if you're really drunk and you're at a party or something. But I mean, it's really just that one song, maybe like one other one. And uh, I mean, you don't love rock star. I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's their their most I don't even know original song. It's very clever. This is a uh, lie. It's terrible. <laughs> it's uh, clever for Nickelback, maybe. But... Man, no, that's not. Like, you can't even say that. Clever for Nickelback is like photograph or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's the other maybe halfway decent one they have. I don't know. I think I only say that because of all the memes. <laughs> Look at this graph. <laughs> uh oh god that's such a good one i think really it just boils down to as usual ryan reynolds defending his fellow canadians and i just gotta say come on ryan i thought you were on our side you can do better there are better canadians to defend go to carly ray jepson defend her okay yeah that's that's a much more fitting target i'd say and also someone in need of defending yeah at least uh, from some people a lot of people are on board with carly or jepson right i think that's collectively a thing these days but right the worm has turned on that one yes 100 yeah. percent, as it should have i don't know overall i i don't even understand why they took the like nickelback defense route 
for this trailer. I don't know what it added to the movie. I don't know what it's supposed to make me think about this movie that's coming out. I guess it's just supposed to be funny, but yeah, realistically, I was like, I'm confused, but okay. It's quirky. It's unusual. That's Deadpool. You know, obviously Nickelback has a pretty wide fan base, so maybe they're trying to appeal to those people. Do you think the Venn diagram of Deadpool movie fans and Nickelback fans has a lot of overlap? Uh, I'd be willing to bet there is a lot of overlap. Yeah, I feel like the, I feel like a lot of Nickelback fans are just superhero movie fans in general. Yeah. So true. crass ones are probably up their alley because Nickelback is pretty uh, crass at times. I've listened yeah. to a, a regrettable amount of Nickelback and say. They may be a little more into the DC universe, but um, who knows? No, 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 no. I think I actually think Nickelback fans are prime targets of the Sony Marvel universe. Oh, specifically. <laughs> That's a very specific uh, subset of superhero movies. Well, it's like the the superhero movies that are like low key garbage, you know, but like sometimes still fun. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, no offense to all the Sony Marvel fans out there, but I'm not taking it back. So there are several of us. Wait. <laughs> There's dozens of us. Dozens. Aside from Deadpool fans, I have to say, I don't think that's true. Nah. Who knows? Another trailer that dropped uh, just today, in fact, is the the new trailer for Glass, uh, which is the Mr. Glass and uh, Split. And what was the what was the original movie? Unbreakable. Uh, Unbreakable. Yeah, which is the Unbreakable and Split team up movie, pretty much. You know, I think we were all sort of caught by surprise by this project in the first place. Uh, it was sort of revealed at the end of Split, which was probably one of M. Night Shyamalan's greatest twists ever. In Split? By, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Easily. And just basically announcing this overlap in the universes. And um, so it's been interesting to see this project develop and see what they have shown us of it and so far it's looking pretty good i think i'm definitely interested i mean i thought i had some issues with split uh just like on a thematic level but i thought overall it was a well-crafted film yeah so i i feel like m night Shyamalan might be actually back in his stride between like that and the visit recently was really really good i thought mm-hmm. so i feel like this could be a really good movie i think the trailer's are kind of funny in that they present it as like a I don't know a battle of good versus evil I don't know we're supposed to not know who's good and who's evil like we know um I'm not sure <laughs> where the stakes are there but still I do think it could be a really fun and exciting movie to watch yeah it seems like Mr. Glass is still trying to get everyone to be on his side basically um which is he sort of plays kind of a magneto sort of character here where um he's trying to get all the different mutant people together to sort of reign over people and cause havoc um, it is very magneto isn't it? it's like magneto and uh grindelwald yeah basically yeah oh god grindelwald is magneto oh no <laughs> no yeah. yes yeah oh. that's uh my life is over, but 
Anyway, does that make to... Dumbledore Professor X? Oh my god, and they're both oh my god, the gay. Oh no. <laughs> oh, it's so true though. It's so right. <laughs> the wizarding world is basically just trying to be X-Men and it's failing so miserably. Maybe yeah, JK Rowling was just watching too much X-Men. She actually was just reading like Archive of Our Own, like <laughs> Professor X and Magneto slash fic. And oh boy. Came uh, up with this. I wouldn't put it past her. Uh, but she yeah. first started off with just like basic dreary, you know, and then somehow went down the wormhole. It's it's how things work, unfortunately. It's it's the way of the world. I mean, I've been there, done that. So <laughs> not judging, KK, but maybe you should clean up your own movies. Don't base them off of fanfic. Yeah. Well, um, you can let the writer of Fifty Shades know about that as well. I would uh, rather not speak to her. <laughs> so, um, in other disgusting news, um, the Sonic the Hedgehog motion poster dropped this week. Um, Dear God. I think you have more feelings on this than I do, so I'll let I just you think, take the lead. Yeah, sure. I, You know what? I just think looking at it is physically difficult for me you look at it and first of all it's moving i'm not really on board with the motion poster yet i don't really get it i don't know why we need this just give me a standard still poster they're pretty they're nice you know the motion poster isn't going to be displayed on the side of a movie theater so what's really the point of all of this just give us the normal poster that's all anybody wants we want something that we can collect and put on our walls after we've taken it from our projectionist friends at the movie theater yeah, it's too gonna, much to ask. Nobody's collecting gifts and like right. saving them on the hard drive for ten years or whatever. I mean, I do have a folder of them, but not of movie poster ones, so doesn't matter. Hey, <laughs> second of all, I really, 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 really hate this thing where any time a childhood character from like a video game or TV show is brought into some sort of I guess it's going to be like live action, right? That sort of, yeah, yeah, it's going to be like live action. So anytime it's brought about as this live action character, they have to make them hairy. Yeah. Why are, why is Sonic hairy? Why was Pikachu hairy a few weeks ago when we all got detective Pikachu? Why does everything have to be hairy? Why is hair the symbol of realism? I don't understand. Is it just so you can show off your CGI because you can do impressive single hair follicles swaying in the wind? I just don't understand why we need everything to be a furry's paradise like this. Like, (laughs) we get it. You can do hair. It just drives me insane. Sonic wasn't hairy. He was a thick... He's... What? No. He's just a giant blue mass. I know he's technically a hedgehog, but he doesn't really look like a hedgehog. I mean, like, they're cartoony in the games. They're cartoony in, like, every incarnation they've ever been seen in. So why now, when you introduce them in this universe do they have to be like all hyper realistic it's just strange right. you know like you can have a cartoony character in a real person world like they did it in the 80s with who framed roger rabbit and worked pretty well uh right. there's there's no there's no mismatch there it actually i think looks pretty good and it helps the character stand out and you you get to present the classic design that everyone knows as opposed to making some sort of 
strange, slightly unsettling knockoff. It's just so upsetting. It's upsetting. <laughs> and I just don't understand why everything has to be live action now. We don't need that. None of these things had to be live action. We didn't need a live action Sonic the Hedgehog. Live action is not inherently better. And that's coming yeah. from somebody who doesn't always love animation. But certain things really should be animated. It, this is a story about an anthropomorphic blue hedgehog who hangs out with an anthropomorphic red hedgehog and an anthropomorphic midnight black hedgehog and an anthropomorphic like foxtail thing. I don't know. He has a bunch of tails and flies. I'm not really sure what tails is supposed to be. But I think he's a fox. I think he's a fox too, it's but he's got a one. lot of tails. Yeah. Uh, it's got a lot going on. Yeah. So I just think that maybe we don't need to make this hyper realistic. It doesn't make any sense to go this route. And furthermore, is this going to be live action in the way, you know, the Scooby-Doo movies were live action? Or is this going to be live action in the way that Disney's The Lion King is about to be live action, which is not live action at all. It's all Balls. animated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This new, like, pseudo live action trend has been really strange for me. I thought that the Jungle Book movie was decent, but... Did you? Uh, I mean, it was all right. I haven't. It was all right. That's how I'm, I would describe it. I haven't felt the need to go back and watch it, but I saw it. I was like, okay, that was better than I would have thought, I guess. But I don't know, like the the new Lion King that's coming out, like it's just basically a CGI version of the same movie. Like it's not really live action. So. It's not live action at all. It's the sets are are not live action the characters are not live action so what about this is live action it's animated it's just a different form of of animation yeah it's not like cell shaded or hand drawn fine it's still it's still animated it's just on a computer it drives me crazy don't call it live action just because it imitates live action that's not the same well i guess if they can call it live action they can sort of justify the fact that it's a remake a little more so like oh it's not really a remake it's just a live action version right of the animated movie which is just nonsense but i also there, wonder here we are the amount of money that must be spent on something like the lion king live action remake oh good lord yeah i mean that kind of extensive cgi for a full movie has got to be very expensive yeah and i know i can't find anything on the budget so i'd be interested to know at some point what the budget really turned out to be because it's got to be insanely high between the the amount of effort going into the animation and also just the cast you know the cast does include big names such as oh, yeah. beyonce Knowles, and john oliver and seth That's rogan so <laughs> yeah but these these movies uh basically make money hand over fist so i think they can definitely justify it i definitely think this one specifically is going to make a ton too the nostalgia factor for the lion king is insanely high so yeah I can't see this doing poorly. I mean, if the Beauty and the Beast did as well as it did, the Lion King will probably do way better even. So, um, but getting back to Sonic, <laughs> I just must we? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't get it. And it's again, we're doing a live action adaptation of a video game basically. Why? <laughs> Haven't we learned our lesson on video game adaptations yet? First of all, I mean, when was the last time anybody saw a decent one? Yeah. I'm waiting. I, I can't really think of any good ones. Mortal Kombat 1995, the only one worth watching. 
But why? The only good thing I can see about Sonic the Hedgehog the movie is that Ben Schwartz is the voice of Sonic. I love Ben Schwartz. I'm sure he'll be great. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's really excited about it. He keeps posting on Instagram about it. I'm like, Ben, that is really sweet because <laughs> I hate nothing more than I hate this movie that's coming out that you star in. Yeah. Uh, and he so can't help this, but Jim Carrey is playing the villain, Dr. Robotnik. And I can't think of anything more hellish to me than Jim Carrey as that mustached villain. <laughs> it's basically oh, just like Olaf in a giant machine. Wait, but is he again. is he gonna be like appearing in live action or is he gonna be animated too? I bet he'll be live action actually. That's the real question. It's gotta I, be. I do wonder how much like actual live action there's gonna be. There's I mean, Robotnik is like a human, so there's room for live action there. There's no real reason to make him animated. Yeah. This could really be like the um God, this is I'm going to hate saying this. This could be like the Garfield movie or something. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you think it'll be that bad? Well, I meant just in terms of blending um, CG mm. with live action. I wasn't really trying to compare it on a qualitative level because <laughs> I really, fingers crossed that it can be better than the Garfield movies. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. At least better than Garfield 2, that that sequel. Um which I regrettably saw in theaters. So. Oh, good lord. I had a friend yeah. who really liked both of the Garfield movies. Needless to say, we're not close anymore. Was your friend Bill Murray? <laughs> Man, I wish. <laughs> if only. <laughs> mm, speaking of Bill Murray, I was talking a lot about Space Jam tonight in a ter- in, to bring up another blend of animation and live action. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... Not a great movie, but I felt like the mix of live action and animation was pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty much the the best part about it is the way that it's pretty effortlessly blending the two, if I recall correctly. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it. The real problem with the movie is that it's like a 90-minute commercial for about 20 different things. But Yeah, definitely. Know, can't win them all, I guess. So, yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. I have some feelings. None of them are positive. I am <laughs> upset. And think it's a pretty strong argument against video game adaptations ever happening again. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll surprise me. Yeah. I mean, you never know, I guess. Maybe we, we've still only seen this character model of Sonic in the shadows. So maybe when he comes out, he's going to look amazing. Dear know. God, I bet he's going to be so terrible. Think about the eyeballs on oh, that God. thing. Surrounded no. by the big furry blue things. Ugh. No, I don't want to see it. I'm really upset. I'm upset just <laughs> thinking about it. I also love how the poster advertises from the producer of The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Is that a selling point? All I mean, right. like the first Fast and the Furious? Not even like Fast Fast 5, which was like a good movie. We're talking about The Fast and the Furious. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wait, The Fast and the, as in the original, right? Right, yeah. Not Fast and Furious? Not whatever. Fast and Furious. <laughs> Definitely not Fast and Furious. It says The Fast and The Furious. It's so hard to tell these days. They have so, they, they've rebooted their title so many times. It's uh, specifically the, the producer involved in both is Neil Moritz, who did uh, 
some of the Fast and the Furious franchise, but also I know what you did last summer. So, you know, he's a real superstar, honestly. Clearly. Yeah. I'm a huge fan, actually, just because of I know what you did last summer. I unironically love that movie. So I'll take it. However, he also produced Cruel Intentions 3, so never mind. I have a lot of concerns. <laughs> There's a Cruel Intentions 3? Yeah, did you even know there was a Cruel Intentions 2? I, I did not. Okay, the great thing about Neil Moritz is actually that he did I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, and then I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, and then Cruel Intentions. <laughs> he is actually a hero. This guy was like... Oh, he also did... If you, I don't know if you ever saw it, but The Skulls, that movie with Josh Jackson and Paul Walker. Wow, uh, wait... Uh, What's up with Paul Walker and this guy? But um, The Skulls is great. I used to love that movie. It's about a fraternity that might like murder people. I don't know. Um, He also produced Volcano, which is just (laughs) iconic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway, that's Neil Moritz, who's somehow involved in Sonic the Hedgehog, which really tells nothing about the quality of the movie we can all expect because all of these movies are completely all over the place. So It could be as good as... Uh, I know what you did last summer, or as bad as Cruel Intentions three. I assume. I'm uh, pretty sure Cruel Intentions three is bad. I haven't actually seen it, but I can't imagine it'd be good. I mean, maybe. Here's a but... here's a good one. He also did. I'll always know what you did last summer, which I can definitively say is terrible. Okay. Yeah. So always bring it back to the horror and. You know what? You know who's in Cruel Intentions 3? Care Smith, who stars in Final Destination and also in Dawson's Creek. So, ah, all right. Good for Cruel Intentions 3. They got a minor star. <laughs> That's their claim to fame as being the launching point for Care uh, Smith. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Care Smith did those did Dawson's Creek in the 90s and Final Destination in 2000 oh. and Cruel Intentions 3 is 2004. The Mighty fell very very far. Yeah, so it's on the on the on the way down then. Yeah. Yeah, it's a downward spiral for Care Smith at that point. So it's kind of like She was uh, also then in ooh, ooh my bloody Valentine 3D. Good for you, Care. Kind of like any movie that Lindsay Lohan's been in recently. It's like, hey, you're you're sort of benefiting from this spiral. Has Lindsay Lohan been in a movie? She was in Canyons a few years ago. All right. You said recently. <laughs> recently <laughs> as in not during the 90s. Okay, well, that's been Minnie. She was like an early 2000s star. I don't know. Right? I'm not making up, am I? I'm making that up. I don't know. The Canyons was, two, was 2013. Yeah. So that's five, been a minute. Five years ago. It's been a while since she did the James Dean movie. The James Dean vehicle known as Canyons. It didn't really work out for him. No, um, in a number of ways it did not. <laughs> Although I believe he's still doing porn, so uh, I think that's you know, could have been worse. Well, you don't have to be a good actor to do porn, you just have to like look good. So yeah. he had that going for him. True. <laughs> The canyons. I never saw the canyons. No. Uh, maybe we should watch that. We should one definitely cover the canyons. We need to cover porn star vehicles. That's what we need to do. Just like an episode on porn vehicles. Um, yeah. Not the porn themselves. The the stars coming into their own. So. Right. Yeah. Because we've done two episodes now where we cover um, films about porn. 
somehow we haven't discussed the uh, Matt Stone, Trey Parker picture orgasmo during all no, that we time. Not. But um, maybe we should do that eventually. But yes. we we should also do an episode on um, on the porn star vehicles, porn stars who act. That would be kind of cool. Oh yes, I just like the title, porn stars who act. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll we'll put that in there. That that'll I'm, be the title whenever we come up with something. I'm so on board with that. I'm in. Count me in. Anytime, anytime it comes up. So, well, let's move on from Sonic and all of the related fiascos here to something equally distressing to me as a human and as a film goer. And that is Bumblebee, the new Transformers spinoff, sitting at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is possibly even more disturbing to me. It is. If anything. You know, we talked about Overlord and how shocked we were by its score. But that, you know, I could believe it. Yeah. I I had not been burned by five movies prior telling me that nothing good can come from that franchise. Like with Transformers, where I have had five movies to say, I hate this franchise and (laughs) all that it stands for, because they have been consistently terrible. Yeah, I mean, with Overlord, it was just the combination of it being like kind of an unknown clearly low budget genre picture and also having maybe not the greatest trailer. So you're like, ah, yeah, that's probably going to be crap. So it was a surprise when you see um, a high Rotten Tomato score with this. It's like you're, you see this and it's, it contradicts everything, you know, about uh, a movie connected to the Transformers universe. Uh, I really don't know what to think or what to expect uh but yeah definitely do not have the highest uh impression of the transformers franchise i think i saw only the first two but god yeah not great i have seen them all oh boy if you'll recall that time that i was hung over and forced myself to watch transformers 5 as punishment no <laughs> <laughs> It's it, not was, worth it. It was not worth it. I gotta say, um, there was nothing good that came from that. So I guess what's confusing to me is that the trailers don't even look good for Bumblebee, in my opinion. I don't know if you've seen them, but they don't. They don't impress me. I I want to like them because I really like Haley Steinfeld, and she's starring in this. Mm-hmm. So I want her to succeed, but it doesn't look good at all. No. The biggest shock to me was when it's like revealed in the trailer or not really revealed, but you find out that it's set in the eighties, I guess. And nothing about it feels eighties at all. I'm yeah. not saying you have to go full campy eighties every time, but give me something. I mean, they... the best they can do is a Rick Astley, never going to give you up joke at the end, <laughs> which is first of all questionable. And second of all, I mean, it's about to be 2019 by the time this, no, it'll be 2018 when this movie comes out, technically, still. So, yeah. end of 2018, and you're making a never-gonna-give-you-up joke? You are rickrolling us? Well, there's other movies who are guilty of that recently as well. But uh, So, apparently, rickrolling is still alive and well. Um, God, it's like these people have never been on the internet. Yeah. But, um, for me, the biggest surprise in the trailer was just that it was a Transformers movie at all. Um I could I kind of knew that the car was going to be alive, 
when I saw an old Volkswagen that clearly had some sort of life in it, I wasn't thinking Transformers. I was thinking it's time for another Herbie movie. <laughs> oh man, you wanted there to be a Herbie movie without Lindsay Lohan? That's upsetting <laughs> to me. I thought it I like I mean the original ones, like back in the sixties, you know, then I, I, I don't think I ever saw the Lindsay Lohan ones, but I really what? liked it. Yeah. No, I like the originals though. But I mean, I can't I not not that I'm saying I was like super psyched for a Herbie movie, but I was already like, oh, they're making another Herbie movie. And then I was like, no, it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> I just never want to see another Herbie movie unless it uses Lindsay Lohan's theme song first from Herbie Fully Loaded. <sighs> so, I you know, I don't care what they do, but they can't do it without that song. However, for her to come back, I guess I knew that it was going to be a Transformers movie from the outset just because I had known that Haley Steinfeld was going to be starring in it by the time uh-huh. that I was seeing the trailer. So when I saw her, I was like, oh, that must be what this is. And also when it was like, every story has a beginning. And that's just me giving a voice to subtitles. It doesn't actually voice that at all. But um, yeah, I guess I guess I knew. But it was still just upsetting to witness. And then John Cena's in it, which might be its saving grace too, actually. John Cena could be the high point of that movie. Could they not get Mark Wahlberg back for this one? Well, this is before, this is early. This is a prequel. Right. So Mark Wahlberg isn't part of the the universe yet. Mark Wahlberg didn't come in until later because first we had to get through the Shia LaBeouf saga. Yeah, but we all know the reason that um, they ended up going with Wahlberg instead of uh, Shia LaBeouf is Shia LaBeouf wouldn't come back for it. So good for Shia, honestly. Yeah, I guess he gave up on being a big big name movie star and settled for putting paper bags over his head. Yeah, and the. Uh... If you remember that one of those weird stunts he did a few years ago where he uh, he watched all of his movies in succession uh, in a theater and like just like anyone could come and watch with him uh, and he like basically slept through all the Transformers ones. <laughs> he clearly does not have a high opinion of them. I will say I don't know how you could sleep through them in the theaters. They're pretty cacophonous. You really... I mean, it is a loud experience watching those movies. Yeah, but uh, to be fair, he was pro- he'd probably been awake for well over 24 hours at that point. You think and- so? How many movies has he done? I feel like most of his early filmography before Transformers is actually just even Stevens. Yeah, I mean, it did. Well, actually, he um, they screened him in reverse. So they started with all his most recent ones. Oh, and geez, um, Louise. yeah, and that includes like Nymphomaniac, which is super long. That is and, really long. Um, yeah, so it, 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 I just remember it went on for a long time. It was like a three day event. Yeah, if, if they started from in, if they went in reverse, then yeah, that would take a while to get to. Yeah, I just uh, didn't think there was that much leading up to it, but I could mm-hmm. be wrong. As someone who's seen Terminator Salvation while super sleep deprived and fallen asleep for almost an hour in there, I can tell you that if you're sleepy enough, even a super loud action movie won't keep you up. No, I believe that. Absolutely. I have fallen asleep in some truly bizarre movies, so I'm not doubting that. Don't worry. I guess 
the last tidbit of information about Bumblebee that might be some hope is that the director is Travis Knight, who directed Kubo and the Two Strings. Ooh. And produced Paranorman and the Box Trolls. He's got a good track record. There's every reason to have faith in the director here. So does he come from like a stop motion background then? Yeah, he really... So this is his first live action movie, I guess. Because Uh, Box Trolls and Paranorman were both stop motion, right? And then Kubo was, was not, but that was still beautifully animated. Kubo wasn't yeah. stop action, right? It was not. So Kubo, yeah, I thought that was stop. Was stop it? Motion. Oh yeah, yeah, I guess it probably was. I hadn't. See, I saw that once, but are those all Leica films? I think so. Yeah. 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 Paranorman, Box Trolls, Kubo. Yeah, Leica is incredible. They um they're doing amazing things with stop motion. So I guess. I guess there's a lot of reason to have hope just because of that. Maybe he steered it all in the right direction. Yeah. Who knows? And then again, you know, there's precedence for animation directors not doing as well with live action like um, Tomorrowland. Yeah. But if he can just bring his sense of, of like space and, you know, visual, I don't know, like symmetry and, the way that he fills his space to live action, then it'll work out well because stop motion requires a lot of, you know, a lot of careful. Oh yeah. Like a, a really like trained eye. So if he can bring some of that to the live action, if he, if, if he can translate it well, then it'll work out, I think. So, yeah. and that would be good. I mean, I will say that the one thing you can't say went wrong with the Transformers movies is that Michael Bay has an eye for like the way he really choreographs his action. And mm-hmm. watching the Transformers like roll around and shift like that, I don't think any other director could have ever pulled any of it off and kept as many audience members as he did captivated. Uh, so I won't say that the Transformers movies lacked a visual eye before. They just lacked story altogether. It was like, yeah. I don't know what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My- Michael Bay is all about visual flair, and he's very good at it. Never let it be said that he isn't all about visuals. But yeah, story can be an issue, especially with those Transformers movies. Yeah, this one, what, sitting at 97% now, I think? Yep. God, I mean, I feel like I kind of shot myself in the foot on this one. We're talking about how if you see a movie with a rating that high, you pretty much have to go see it. Uh, I don't know if that's going to hold true for this one because it also conflicts with one of my other mantras which is never go see a transformers movie um so we'll see how Uh, long has that been a mantra for you the since two okay (laughs) two was so bad i mean it was was, really bad i wasn't a big fan of one either but i've just i've just never been a big transformers fan but one was all right it was a fun action movie but two was just atrocious um was really really bad so I mean, we'll see, but there's a lot of other movies coming out that I want to see. I'm certainly not going to be putting any of those off to see Bumblebee. We're both going to be missing out if we don't, probably, but (laughs) at least on the conversation, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of conversation about how this is the first good movie in this franchise or something. If I can see it in a 40X theater that I might, I might have to go for that, actually. Right. That's That's worth it. I didn't think of that. 
and I do have some free uh, 40x vouchers, so maybe I can get in on that. Yeah, you should. That'd be fun, I think. But it's like, right. There's a lot of a, a better stuff opening soon. So true. Yeah. And by better, I just mean more interesting, in my opinion. So yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, better. We'll see. Yeah, there's stuff that I know I'm going to want to see as opposed to something that I might potentially be interested in just because a lot of other people are. Right. But it's hard for me. I have such a morbid fascination issue where I can't see that a movie like this is doing really well and not go see it because I feel like it shocks me so much that I just have to, like, I'm drawn to it. So it's going to be hard for me not to see it. Yeah, true. I mean, there is there is sort of a curiosity when something doesn't seem to be scoring the way that you'd expect it to normally. Right. In whichever direction, right? Like if I thought something yeah. looked really good and then it's like really tanking critically, I want to go see it. I want to know yeah. why. Yeah, like when Mother came out, like I already knew I wanted to see that. But when I saw that it was just getting atrocious reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, I was like, oh, I definitely have to see it now. Like, yeah, what well, could possibly be getting that bad reviews? That was the most divisive movie of the year, probably. Yeah. So we can definitely. Yeah. I uh, personally loved Mother. So Same. I'm, I'm yeah. down to argue with people about it any day of the week, any time of day. So bring it on. <laughs> anyone. Um, yeah. Very contentious movie. Yeah. Uh, but and I think we've got one last item before we wrap up. Um, Sort of a year-end retrospective for horror films. Right? Yeah. I guess we haven't really talked a lot about horror on the podcast thus far. But it is something that is uh, important to both of us. I, we talk a lot about horror and watch a lot of horror. So it's shocking that we haven't had more horror here other than, yeah. I guess, Cam. Um, but yeah, so uh, for those of you who, you know, read movie articles on the interwebs, uh, Jordan Crucciola put out an article on Vulture.com of uh, the 10 best horror movies of 2018. And so, you know, I have to be invested anytime there's a top 10 horror of any year. And as it happens, I have now officially seen every movie on their list of the top movies, top horror movies of the year. So I just have a lot of thoughts about all of them. And I think a lot of it I do agree with, you know, um, a lot of the movies on there, at least, I believe should be on there. I might have some minor quibbles with the order. Uh, for example, Tenth is a Quiet Place. I'm not sure that a quiet, a quiet Place deserves to be at the bottom of the top ten. Right. And that's really such a nitpick thing to say. There's so much horror that comes out in any given year that saying that one shouldn't be at the very bottom of a top ten list is still like, well, they're still saying very good things about it if they're putting it in the top ten of the year. Right. You know, may shock some people, but a lot more than 10 horror movies do come out every year, even though you never hear about them in the news. Um, shout out to film criticism everywhere. But yeah, so I guess um, we can just go through some of the list and uh, we can talk about them and see if we think they deserve to be in the top 10 and if they deserve their spot here. Right. Yeah, I think 2018, uh, much like the past couple of years, has been a really good year for horror. We definitely saw some uh, some pretty groundbreaking films this year. Uh, some ones that actually made it into the wider conversation among film goers. And uh, I think we're just 
sort of riding that wave of a real renaissance in horror right now. Yeah, I think horror is definitely on an upswing right now, which is really, really exciting uh, just to witness as a huge horror fan. Um, it's nice to be back in a time where you can say that you're a horror fan and somebody has seen a movie recently that, you know, is horror and that they are excited to talk about too, even if they're not, you know, a genre film goer. So yeah, it's really cool that it's in like the mainstream cultural conversation a lot of the times. Uh, it was a good year given that A Quiet Place... Uh, was making you know headlines everywhere we had suspiria out this year we had the new halloween uh, hereditary so uh, we definitely had a a lot of good options for for even just mainstream horror which definitely hasn't been the case in many many past years so so yeah starting at number 10 on this list uh was a quiet place quiet place yeah this one definitely did get a lot of a wider audience than just the usual horror goers. Um, it was John Krasinski's first movie. It uh, was notable for being mostly silent for a large portion of the film as um, goes along with the plot and the title. Um, these people trying to survive this sort of post-apocalyptic world where these creatures with hypersensitive hearing are trying to track them down and kill them. Uh, it was just a very interesting premise and uh, an interesting conceit to the silence that I thought ended up uh, paying off really well and making for a really interesting time at the cinema. Yeah, I mean, I think we mentioned it on a previous <clears throat> episode of the pod but I think that the theatrical experience of seeing A Quiet Place was unlike anything I think any of us have ever really felt before. It yeah. Just the way the audience was really hanging on to every little moment because of the lack of dialogue, you know? Mm-hmm. It also made the moments when characters did speak or did shout so powerful. Uh, just the way that the film handled the silence and the long stretches without dialogue. So... It was really, really a unique experience. I thought it was innovative and really fresh in a way that a lot of, especially like creature feature horror movies aren't anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. So, definitely think it deserves its place on the list. Um, definitely put it in my top 10 of the year. And I would say, yeah, it's more towards the bottom overall. Um, that's not a bad thing, but it, you know, it just is what it is so right yeah i think it would probably be a few notches higher on my list Um, i guess the question is uh, what would be below it you know yeah i mean it's hard to say but um as we go along i guess we'll we'll see see. what it's stacking up against because i i already know one thing that i think this this list left out but we can get to that at the end maybe um right but yeah um okay so number nine on the list, and I definitely would rank this higher personally, is The Endless. Uh, I loved The Endless. I thought it was a really weird and trippy movie. I, did you ever get a chance to see this one? Uh, I, I didn't get to see this one. It only showed uh, once in my area at the Alamo Draft House. Uh, okay. On a day I wasn't able to make it, but I've heard incredible things about it. Uh, right. Definitely heard a lot of good stuff. So 
it also for me it only showed i think it, i think we had it two nights at the alamo so i was fortunate to uh, be able to see it one of the nights um and i had an insanely great theater experience i was in a full house at the alamo draft house um i went in i don't think i'd even really seen a trailer i just knew that it was a horror movie and that it was supposed to be trippy um yeah so i was like this is right up my alley i knew that it dealt with cults which is another thing that i'm always on board for when it comes to horror uh so i knew who the directors were um i really liked their piece in vhs viral Uh, i don't know if you ever saw that one oh yeah i saw that okay they did the one with um where the kids are skateboarding and then it's all the skeletons coming to life like Oh, that was creepy. Yeah. It's such a it was such a good segment and such a, like a really like fun and gleeful segment of horror. Uh my favorite one in VHS viral by far. Yeah. So I was just sort of excited to see it just because I was like they're building off of this awesome sh- I mean, the only thing I'd seen at the time was that one short. I have gone on to see a couple of their other things and I just think they're exciting up and comers in horror in general. But anyway, The Endless is a movie about two friends who go to visit a death cult that they once previously escaped from. They were a part of it and they left it because, you know, they thought it was creepy. Um, (laughs) So they go back because they've seen video of it and want to go, you know, see their old friends and maybe convince some of them to leave. Uh And as the movie is going on, and I had no idea as I'm saying this, just as a sidebar, I go in and I'm just like, pounding beers because it's an alamo draft house (laughs) and then about like an hour in it i mean not even an hour maybe more like 45 minutes it becomes very clear that this is a complete mind-bending movie like (laughs) i like all of a sudden it's like they there's like time loops and reality is warped and bending in on itself and i'm like i don't know what's going on but (laughs) like i was like drunk and just like oh my god i was like terrified um And it's just like a very strange and surreal film. And it's the whole thing is like like one big weird jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to put together as you go because you're trying to figure out how they get out of this, what it what the little flashes of things that they've seen mean, um, what's actually going on, what's real and what's not. And it's just really, really creepy. And I think the best um review I can give is that when I left. I was really scared that I would somehow wind up in a constant time loop and never be able to escape. Oh God. (laughs) I was just like, I am going to die trapped in this one thing for the rest of my life. Um, I loved the endless. I thought it was a really, really original and exciting horror film um, and got away with the horror, not with a lot of the obvious scares and obvious gore, although it does have some of those. Um, there is some blood and there are some obvious scares too, like jump scares, mm. but not a lot. It relies on just mounting dread and pure confusion to really terrify you. I think a lot of horror uh, underappreciates the value of confusion as a scare tactic. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it can really get you. So definitely would put this a little higher on my list personally, but I'm really glad to see it getting some, some love here. Right. Yeah. Um, since you haven't seen it, I'll move on to the next one. Um, and that's what keeps you alive. Did you ever see that one? Also have not seen this one. So. Okay. That's okay. Freak here. Um, and what keeps you alive? I don't want to say too much about it because um, it's definitely a movie. It's really, really character driven. 
but it is it's basically it's a thriller and it's about basically a queer couple uh it's two women and it becomes basically a game of murder between the two of them <laughs> and Ooh. it's really it's it really relies purely on how much you can care about the characters which is um exciting for horror in general but also good because it gives the, the leads a chance to shine and they both really really excel here and i don't really want to give too much away about you know the couple and you know which might be the villain blah 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 but um <laughs> before right. you go into it yeah. but um it is it's exciting it's um nice to see uh, a lesbian couple at the forefront um yeah and not be just about that you know um a lot a lot of queer movies are just about their queerness this is not like that um, right so that's really exciting um it also works as sort of just you know an examination of relationships and things like that so um i mean obviously taken to an extreme because it's horror but that's okay uh so i don't know it is worth seeing it is scary um it's an exciting horror experience and that it really does just focus on these two characters so you don't have to deal with a lot of like outside stuff there's not like the typical thing you get in a slasher where it's like seven characters and you only really care about two you know um, yeah you care about these two characters and it's about these two characters so um and it's it's really 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 good so i'm glad to see it here really glad i think eight is where i would maybe keep it i'd have to i should make my own list really is what i should do but yeah, well, maybe maybe we'll post if you come up with a list of your own. We'll post it on uh, Twitter later or Letterbox yeah. or something. Right. Um, so yeah, um, moving along, number seven on this list was Halloween, which I did see. Nice. Uh, yes. <laughs> had to see Halloween. Um, mm -hmm. So happy with this movie. Uh, we're both very big fans of the halloween franchise in general uh personally for me halloween was um the first slasher movie i saw that really like made me get it made me understand what slashers are about why people like them why the genre is interesting um and in itself it was the movie that sort of kick-started the whole genre sort of the the one to beat when it comes to making a slasher and so um coming up with a modern installment for a franchise like this is a pretty tall order but this one in my opinion really knocked it out of the park i mean it just did about everything you could have hoped for so basically this installment sort of retcons a lot of the installments that we've had over the last 30 so years uh basically coming straight after the first movie and um in this version laurie strode is much older she's uh sort of been driven into this kind of survivalist uh slightly paranoid mode by her experiences being attacked by michael myers and she's built this sort of crazy hideout cabin with all sorts of trap doors and hidden weapons and stuff that she can hide out in when michael inevitably breaks out 
as he does, of course, because she knows he will. Um, so it's sort of the story of her facing him again, um, 30 years later, this, well, I guess 40 years later, this time, not as an inexperienced high schooler, but sort of a battle hardened warrior, someone who's faced this before, who knows exactly how dangerous Michael is and who's trying to protect the people around her from what she knows is coming. And I thought it was just incredible. I mean, it hit all the notes that we were looking for in a slasher. I'm always kind of nervous about these modern remakes and reboots of classic horror movies from the 70s and 80s because they just they don't always capture the same sort of spirit. But this one really felt like a true installment in the Halloween series. Um, Even though Carpenter didn't really have a lot to do with it, I think he maybe did the score for this. He worked Uh, on the score, not just him though. It was uh, with him and some of his family, like his son was involved. Right. Yeah. And the score was really good. It, It had a pretty good combination of the classic themes that we love and Um, some stuff that built on that, uh, that made it more intense, Uh, just through and through a really incredible movie, um, especially for horror fans and fans of the Halloween franchise. I Yeah, I'm absolutely in agreement with you. I thought the new Halloween was really, really excellent. I loved it. Um, it, It just felt right that in 2018, we got an update to the Halloween franchise in which it really focuses on three generations of strode women fighting back against this trauma that has obviously plagued them all of their lives. Even someone like the youngest, you know, like uh, Laurie's granddaughter who never experienced Michael Myers herself. I mean, but she grew up with the stories. She knows everything about this, this, uh, you know, trauma that's haunted her grandma yeah, her entire life and, you know, plagued this town really even. So it's just really, I mean, it feels very of this moment to watch something like Halloween in 2018, the way that they did it. And I thought that was really, really smart and great of them. And I thought it worked really well. And also the ending where um, you basically get to see the table sort of turned on Michael Myers as Laurie Strode is stalking him through the house. Uh, yeah yeah was just incredible you know she's like slinging down gates and trapping him in rooms and it was insane i mean a little bit ridiculous at moments maybe because i mean she really did all of that but um (laughs) yeah no she basically Uh, took like what every horror fan's been like mapping out in their mind for generations like well if i was up against the killer i would do xyz like she made all those preparations because she knew what was coming right so, she basically i mean she turned her equipment. house into like a legend of zelda dungeon or like a jigsaw <laughs> trap so yeah 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 she had a little help from jigsaw on this one i'd say oh man crossover that's actually what the the next halloween sequel is gonna be it's yeah a, a sequel to jigsaw and halloween 2018 right oh my god what if she's jill she's jill from the jigsaw series what happens to her to make her look like jill why is she suddenly blonde and <laughs> i don't know like, i don't it doesn't have to be a perfect comparison 
You're right. I also don't want her to be Jill. Jill, I don't know what happens with Jill. Um, other than the reversed <laughs> bear claw trap. Oh, yeah. Um, Jill ends up carrying on Jigsaw's work after his death. Well, I know that. I meant like in the very, I was just referencing. Oh, the very oh you don't want her to meet the same fate as Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because that was rough. I don't, That's I, they did Jill a little dirty. She didn't deserve all that. Um, yeah. Although I guess she was also willing to be like a murderous human. So maybe, but still. Yeah, true. Um, they were all evil. Anyway, the Saw franchise is a story for another day. We can get <laughs> invested in that some other time. We uh, don't have nearly enough hours in the day to discuss the Saw franchise right Saw now. Saw franchise we'll, is like a, a like a mini series. Like we need like one per movie. We'll get like, there. Yeah. Um so what it boils down to is Halloween 2018 was awesome. Totally deserves to be in the top 10 of horror for this year for any anybody who's a horror fan should have it in their top 10, I would say. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. Just watching a franchise come back to life in such a big way and break records the way that it did. Oh, yeah. It totally cleaned up at the box office, yeah. too. That was really impressive to see. Yeah. And I got to say, um, while Halloween and Michael Myers are two of the, like, you know, the first Halloween is obviously one of the most iconic and influential horror films of all time. But if I had to pick one of the big three slasher franchises that I thought would have done well on reboot... Halloween wouldn't have been the one and it was yeah. it was the one that did well because Friday the 13th and Nightmare not so great so it's because the rest of the series they've always sort of struggled to uh, live up to the quality of the first one even though I like some of the later installments like it's it's always clear which one's the goat when it comes to Halloween movies right. uh, but this is one that I feel like is worthy of standing up to that legacy. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on from Halloween because yeah. we could talk for hours about it. Absolutely. All right. Next movie. Oh, I was going to announce it, but if you want to talk about it, um, go for it. You've seen it. I have seen it. I take that to mean that you have not. Um, I'm really sad to hear that you have not. Number six on the list is revenge and revenge is awesome it i mean that's really the best word for it is just pure awesome mm -hmm. it is a rape and revenge horror uh which you know can go deeply south very quickly um but this one finds a lot of power in its themes and it's really really awesome i think the lead matilda lutz is incredible she plays her character with growing ferocity and determination i think the violence is earned and really really brutal at times uh, there's a sequence with a shard of glass in somebody's foot that uh Ooh. just know that it is excruciating to watch uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and there's a, a in the closing climactic sequence i mean i remember just watching it i, w I went to a midnight screening of this um at the nighthawk in brooklyn and it was just like everybody was just like staring at this one sequence where it's just like a hallway just like painted and blood just like the whole thing and Ooh. i was like i don't know what's going on here, but <laughs> i am on board uh revenge is powerful and horrifying and i mean ultimately i don't want to say i mean it's hard to say anything's empowering when it is like about like brutal murders but it is empowering to watch a victim 
take control and get yeah. back at the people who who oppressed them and and this case i think horror was meant to empower victims and just i mean you could say the same of the halloween reboot uh, yeah so i think that um revenge was a really exciting horror film this year it's not for people who can't handle blood uh i would say that for sure but yeah it's worth seeing and you should totally see it i'm shocked that you haven't yeah, did this this was in theaters this year, huh? I, I yes. just I don't even recall seeing this uh like on the listings. I guess but. I I'm pretty sure it had a pretty limited release. Uh I we only got it at our Alamo and at the Nighthawk here. Uh, Nowhere okay. else had it. And yeah. that I was aware of anyway. I'm sure somewhere else did cuz I'll say that and we'll have the one fan who decides to rate and review and um says that actually it was somewhere else in new york and <laughs> um but... uh, limited release horror can be particularly difficult to see because even like the normal art house theaters won't necessarily carry it so you're yeah. stuck with uh going someplace a little unusual like the alamo which is great but uh they can't carry everything unfortunately and uh they're a little far afield for me sometimes but... right so luckily i live like a 20 minute walk from an alamo draft house so i can get there pretty easily that's um, nice yeah so i saw yeah i didn't see revenge at one but i know that ours did play it but by the time ours got it i had already seen it so like the nighthawk definitely got it first because the nighthawk here does like a a new horror series so every weekend they're showing like something at midnight that's a new horror film basically oh, that's awesome um, if there's if there's one that's out and that they can get their hands on that is which right. usually there is but not always so anyway revenge is great uh the lead matilda lutz is really really stunning and also just the the visuals in this film it's set you know out in the desert so it's a lot of warm colors and it's makes for some really just like the the contrast of the brutal violence against these beautiful but also brutal environmental settings does really work really really well so I think it's really, really an excellent film. I'll definitely try to check it out. Yeah, you should. I think you'd like it. Uh, violent, empowering. Um, yeah, why not? Um, so good combo. Yeah. All right. So number five on Vulture's list of the best 10 horror movies of 2018 is one that I know we've both seen and we're both really excited about. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that is Hereditary. God, Hereditary. It was, I mean, spectacular. I don't think we even need to say too much about it. I think most people have probably saw it if they're a film goer at all. Um, but yeah, this this one really made a big splash this year, uh, even among those who don't normally go to see horror movies. Partly for its brutality, and uh, but mostly for its incredible storytelling and acting from uh pretty much everyone in it yeah but specifically i mean it should be mentioned tony collette <laughs> yeah tony collette in particular and uh Incredible. the wolf brother i can't i can never get alex and nat wolf straight i can't handle that but um whichever wolf brother is in this one <laughs> um he was really really great in it too um i mean he's he's an up-and-coming star i would say in general but um he yeah he was he also really, in my friend Dahmer this year. He was, yes. 
So, and he killed it there too. I mean, I, I had a lot of issues with that film, but he did really, really well. And I thought he really like stood out and hereditary for a lot of it. He captured fear in a really memorable way that haunted me after the movie. Tony Collette did as well, though. I mean, yeah. she really, it was impressive to watch and terrifying and depressing <laughs> at moments. <Yeah. laughs> um, so for those who are unaware, Hereditary is the story of a family grieving for Tony Collette's character's mom's death. Um, yeah. And just sort of the fallout that comes after that. I don't want to give too much away about the other tragedies that shortly befall them. Um <laughs> But uh, there's just all sorts of brutal psychosocial horror and um, just family drama. And it's just a a lot of rumination on uh, just the the sort of darkness that can lurk in some families and mental illness and um, just all all kinds of interesting things to explore in this one. I guess what gets to me about hereditary was the way that it's really just the story of domestic life exploding into horror and how completely relatable that necessarily makes it to pretty much everybody who watches it yeah you know it's hard to watch this movie and not connect to feeling like your family is spiraling out of control in the wake of something like the loss of a maternal figure in everyone's life you know um i think most of us have experienced something like that and i think that that's what made this movie so completely horrifying. You get, you know, just like that backdrop. And then some of the horror isn't even necessarily what you think of as like, you know, visceral, brutal, violent horror. Some of it is things like that dinner sequence um, with, you know, Tony Clutt's character and Alex Wolf's character and the father. And you know, she makes a comment about abortion that I think everybody can say they wish they their mother would never, ever say to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... And I just remember sitting in the theater being stunned. You know, I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. And so I think that's one of the things this movie does best is just finding new ways to horrify us. Yeah. You know, a lot of movies can't do that. Even some of the best horror can't find new ways to horrify us. It's still tricks repurposed or done differently. This movie did some things that I'd never seen before. Yeah, that scene in the car... um... I, Which, yeah, I don't um, want to spoil don't, anything. I don't want to spoil anything, but it is absolutely shocking and uh, definitely one of the most stunning scenes I've ever seen on film. That uh, yeah, that destroyed me. I had there's just I not can't. not much you can put into words, but uh, it's no. incredible. It's incredible. Completely um, unexpected. I mean, but, wow. <laughs> Talk about a bait and switch or something there. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the heart of it, I think what makes it so powerful it is is it is um it does boil down to a family falling apart which like when you strip away the horror elements is something that it it's a, it's a very real fear that people can relate to uh right and it does have a lot of other excellent horror on top of that but that it's got that baseline drama that um that lends it believability right well, Hereditary, check it out. I think it's safe to say it belongs in th- this list and definitely in the top five. Um, yeah. What a really stunningly original and brutally terrifying horror film. It's one that I think just about everybody saw. So 
it was really exciting for this movie this year and just for horror fans to have this movie as a result. Felt good to be able to talk about horror and felt like you were being accepted by, you know, the harsh critics who don't normally <laughs> indulge themselves with that sort of trash. After that, on the list, uh, number four is a movie called Terrified, <clears throat> which I know you haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, and I had not either until today, uh, prior to this recording. This was the last movie on the list I hadn't seen, so I decided I should watch it today. It is an Argentinian horror film. It... Uh, you know, so if you don't speak Spanish, it is subtitled. Um, <laughs> so I sat down to watch this movie knowing nothing about it beyond basically the very brief description in this Vulture article. And I didn't even really get far into it because I didn't want to spoil anything. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and I can say I'm glad I didn't read the full description from this list because it would have given away some things that I was really shocked to find out watching the movie. Um, <laughs> um Basically, the premise is, well, the movie opens with uh, a wife basically saying, you know, I keep hearing voices in the kitchen and I don't know what's going on. And the husband's trying to be like, oh, well, you know, it's probably our neighbor who's remodeling. It's probably him. He's thumping all the time. So they, he's trying to say it's nothing. But you can tell in his eyes that he's really concerned. Uh, it's very obvious that something has been going on for a while in this, this family's house. And they're like, we need to get out of here maybe is what they're thinking um and maybe they should have earlier um and basically it this is you know the opening sequence and it ends with one of the most like sort of surprise murder sequences i don't even want to say murder because it's supernatural so i don't know if you can call it murder when it's like this like demonic entity because i don't think they have a conception of murder but um (laughs) um it's like the most like really shocking like death sequence i think i had seen and a while i just didn't see it coming i didn't think it was gonna you can sort of tell um you know he wakes up and hears this loud thumping and is yelling at his neighbor and then he's like oh wait that's not my neighbor making that thumping noise Um. so you sort of know like oh crap something (laughs) bad's about to happen but just when he discovers his wife's body (laughs) i was like i don't I am, I'm out. I mean, I mean, I stayed in, I watched the movie, but like, I was like, oh no. And um, oh, boy. the movie goes on to basically focus on these, like this trio of households in this one neighborhood that are all experiencing these weird things. Like you have this man who's found his wife's dead body in the opening of the film. Um, there's a woman whose son is killed. Um, and it is a young child that we watched die. Um, <laughs> and, um, and just the aftermath of what happens there is really terrifying, and I don't want to give that one away. Um, and then the third one is the guy who the husband thinks is remodeling, who has started basically, you know, you watch him one night in bed, and he lays down in bed, and his bed just starts shifting across the room while he's just laying in it, and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> so um, so it's basic. I mean, it's like a demonic entity film but not quite really it's not clear what uh the horror is i mean you see it so you know what it is but Mm -hmm. um basically a group of paranormal investigators and a deputy are called in to investigate this and the the thrust of the movie is this group of four individuals investigating what's going on here and trying to figure out what they can do to stop it if they can stop it that sort of thing and you know there's some questionable effects maybe in it um but otherwise it's like 
really tense. It's really surprising. I guess I didn't expect it to be as scary as it was just because it seems like it's a basic haunted house demonic infestation thing. But it's just the way it's done. Um, it frequently surprises you with the scares. The, like it's there are a number of jump scares, but for some reason they get to, uh, it's just the way they build them up. They they don't hit when you expect them to. So it actually catches you off guard as opposed to most jump scares where it's like, yep, saw that. Um, yeah. So it works. Um, it's mm, cruel, I would say. It's a cruel film. <laughs> Uh, so that makes it more horrifying because you might think certain characters are safe and I would tell you not to think that about any characters. <laughs> so, um, oh boy. uh, it is a, it was good and it was definitely scary. I watched it home alone and you know, it gets dark at 4 PM now. So it was dark and <laughs> I was like, all right, I need to turn on some lights now. Um, yeah. So definitely belongs here. I'm really, really glad this list suggested it to me. Right. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, so moving up to number three on the list is Cam. Uh, this is a movie we talked about in our previous episode, number three, episode number three and movie number three on this list. So um, yeah, it's basically... Um, the story of a cam girl or cam performer uh, who is sort of an up-and-comer trying to make her way into the top 50 on this site that she performs on. And um, one day she discovers she's locked out of her account and some sort of unknown entity has taken control of her account and is broadcasting to all of her followers and it appears to be her uh it's basically acting like her it looks like her um it's sort of in some ways a more hypersexualized <clears throat> more performative version of her it's a very interesting and unusual premise for a horror movie uh, and uh, we definitely go way more in depth in it in the last episode, but um, suffice to say, we both liked it quite a bit. I think uh, it's very unusual and interesting. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great and very effective. So, you know, listeners, check out our episode really devoted to Cam. Uh, but yeah, this was definitely a scary movie and I think deserving of its place. Not only just because it was scary, but because it is, you know, it's timely, it's relevant, uh, talking about, you know, cam culture, stuff like that, which is ever more relevant now. Um, and just like the gender issues at play there. And uh, so, I don't know. I thought it was really, really great. So let's move on from cam then yeah. and jump to number two, which uh, sort of was a surprise to me to see. Number two is Annihilation, I yeah. guess. First of all, I'd sort of forgotten about the movie, uh, which is regrettable to say. But second of all, I guess I didn't peg it as pure horror, necessarily. I didn't really think of it as a horror movie. I, I would have described it as more of a sci-fi film, but uh, it's definitely got some horror tropes in it. Yeah, so uh, what was I, the... what was the? 
I was I texted another friend about this earlier and we were debate we were having a debate on what whether or not we think this movie lands in horror. Uh she said yes. Um I was still pushing that maybe not. What is the most horrifying moment in this movie to you? Um for me it would be the scene where the bear comes in. Yes. And they're all hiding from it and it's um it's screaming with the voice of their dead friend that it's consumed and absorbed into its body. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. That's what I said. I had a friend who thinks it's the lighthouse sequence at the end. So <laughs> I was just, <laughs> I just need some confirmation that I'm not crazy for thinking that that was for me, the moment it becomes not horror and pure sci-fi. Yeah. That um, scene's a little creepy, but that scene is way more sci-fi. And the scene bear, with the bear is like pure body horror. It's just like this weird sort of like vocal twist on the uncanny valley effect. Like, I don't know. It was really terrifying to me. It freaked me the F out. (laughs) I was not having that bear. Um, (laughs) They do some incredible things with um, both sound and um, visuals in the CGI in this movie um, that like stuff that we've basically never seen before in a movie. Um, just really pushing the boundaries of what you can do and putting it in a very experimental zone. And um, it fits the movie well. It's hella creepy. And it's it pays off really well. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's questionable whether you would call this a horror movie. It's definitely a great movie. I won't begrudge it its place on this list. Um, no. It's an interesting follow-up for Alex Garland, who uh, did Ex Machina last, um, which was definitely more of a sci-fi movie. Right. Uh, But yeah, it was great. It was a fun watch. It, um, I feel like it didn't get a lot of exposure. I I think it didn't do particularly well at the box office. No, I think it really heavily, I think it underperformed. It came out at sort of a weird time early in the year. Yeah. So uh, it's possible not a lot of people have seen it, but I definitely recommend it. It was it was creepy as hell. Uh, a lot of fun. Very interesting story behind it. And it's got an insane score. So if nothing else, go listen to the score. Oh, yeah. It's like really, really intense. Uh, I mean, you can tell from the trailers. Also, it's just got a some great performances for being a sci-fi film you know they don't you don't yeah. always think of those as being really impeccably acted and i thought annihilation was really really well performed yeah and it's got natalie portman oscar yeah. isaac yeah uh, great supporting cast too tessa thompson yeah she's, she's great in it and yeah in general great movie that leaves number one yeah, no. Which I'm one, super excited about. <laughs> um, which is the one we've all been waiting for. The remake of Suspiria by Luca Guar Oh. Luca Guadagnino. Guadagnino. There you go. Uh, um Yeah. But- so totally not surprised to see this topping horror list of twenty eighteen. And totally think it's valid for those who don't know what Suspiria is. It is the story of a young American girl 
who goes off to, shall we say, an eccentric uh, dance company. <laughs> it's one um, run by witches, basically. Yes. Uh, I was trying not to give that away, but yeah, I guess that's pretty much like it's a given, right? Uh, you find yeah. that out early on. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's pretty clear. Right. Um, and it's uh, all set in Berlin. Uh, so there's some historical backdrop here to sort of tie it all together uh, at times. Um, there's a lot of weirdness yeah. happening there. Yeah, uh, the setting was really important in this movie. Um, there's a lot of moving back and forth between East and West Berlin for parts of the movie. And um, it, you can see the the contrast between them. And it it's a very uh, like sort of paranoid, uh, furtive, secretive kind of environment. And it really lends itself well to the themes that they're exploring in the movie and the behaviors of a lot of the characters right so yeah i do i agree i think that that part is really really important here and i think it um i think that was a a luca guadagnino i think he made that a conscious decision to make it you yeah. know so to make the setting so important here which i think was the right choice i think it really heightened it enhanced the film absolutely yeah. which was already i mean just a masterwork of sustained dread i would say mm -hmm. just from start to finish you can feel the dread you can feel the suspicion uh it's constant paranoia from the opening through the close um and i think that that takes great skill to be able to maintain it for that long first of all um yeah not a lot of horror movies can do that so. two and a half hours and yeah. it was long and it didn't feel long i remember it breezed by breezed is that the word anyway yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um his direction is of course stunning uh if anybody had any doubts after call me by your name it turns out he's still a great director so oh yeah um, he's on his way to a great career <laughs> so. and still good um visually as ever making things look pretty even yeah. when they're horrifying in this he case. has a a way of focusing on slightly off kilter details and any, yeah. any scene he does. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was anytime they're dancing, he focuses on the toes of the dancers in such a way that I just kept expecting something really horrifying to happen Ooh. to somebody's toes. Um, interesting. and I mean, I just have a fear of like foot injuries. So, you know, that's just oh, yeah. me, but, um, like, I just like kept expecting it. And I think that uh, it just speaks to the weird, the weird things that he thinks to capture when he's filming, um, which is really awesome. It's, um, yeah. and there's some, another, scenes what? In this movie. there's some gruesome scenes in this movie. I was about to say, it's uh, another film that's not for uh, the faint of heart you, uh, yeah. <laughs> or of stomach. It will, uh, it's pretty violent at times. Um, and some of the most violent moments aren't even like, the big bloody ones towards the end um which are big um yeah but uh there's the the complete body twisting horror pretty early on in the film <laughs> that, that um, seems horrible it's it's rough to watch um say i think the most unbelievable thing about this film is that dakota johnson is like what a high schooler um, yeah. um but um you know that's okay. She kills it regardless. So yeah, um, I am 
100% here for the 2018, like, I don't know, renaissance of Dakota Johnson. I don't know what you call it. Whatever <laughs> happened after uh, Fifty Shades ended. Because I don't want to say renaissance because Fifty Shades was really her rise to fame. Yeah. But um, she definitely wasn't, I don't think, taken very seriously during Fifty Shades. But between this and her turn in uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, I mean, she's good and she should be respected because she is awesome. She's pulling like a Robert Pattinson, trying desperately to uh, distance herself from some franchise that she would rather forget about. I mean, Kristen Stewart, too, who has turned out to be one of the the great actresses of her generation. Um, (laughs) Yeah. and, And as but, you know, I think that that's very apt considering 50 shades is actually directly connected to twilight <laughs> yeah yep, exactly i thought this was a very interesting for a remake uh it really it doesn't feel very much like the original at all no it, it keeps the basic element of the ballet school run by witches but the similarities pretty much end there uh i saw the original um, maybe about a month before this came out in theaters. And it's a great movie. It has a very different tone to it. It's very um, it's very centered on the music and the colors um, as a way of telling the story. It's laid out more like a mystery movie, sort of. You sort of discover the fact that the witches are running the ballet school gradually and it's sort of like a delving into that sort of conspiracy and just gradually um feeling it build upon itself whereas in this movie you sort of figure that out pretty early on but it's only through getting deeper into the movie that you understand like all the warring factions within the witch's coven itself that are um taking place beneath the surface so things are even more complicated and frightening than they appear from the outset um even knowing uh the stuff that it that it takes the whole original movie to reveal things are much more complicated in this one i would say and uh i think it it works in a very different way and um it did a very good job of just being its own movie. Yeah. I mean, I think I probably placed this at the top of my list of horror films of the year. Yeah. So I was not surprised to see it here. I think that it is stunning. I think it is powerful. I think it is a pretty simultaneously bleak and somehow kind of beautiful, uh, film. (laughs) I think of the sequence at the end, um, where she visits uh, the old man in bed, um, oh, yeah. which was strangely gentle and nice, um, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think that uh, Suspiria is a complicated and excellent film, and I am really glad it happened this year. Um, yeah. I, so I think we're definitely be... agree that it's not the same as the original. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and that's a good thing. It's too easy for remakes to be exactly like the original, especially in the era we live in now where everybody is so 
nostalgic all the time. And a lot of remakes and reboots and sequels are based purely in nostalgia. So they are trying to imitate beats right. from predecessors. Yeah. This one wasn't. Um, and I guess that we can connect it back to Halloween and that I thought that Halloween was interested in exploring that nostalgia factor, but also kind of distancing itself from it. You know, it would take those sequences and sort of imitate some of them, like the jailbreak or not the jailbreak, the the hospital breakout scene. Yeah. And sort of twist it and do something new with it in uh, really exciting ways. Um, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I thought I, I'm glad that uh, we had some horror sequels and reboots this year that didn't really tie themselves down too much to those originals and were unafraid to to shake things up a little bit. Yeah, they they really broke the mold in terms of uh horror reboots, remakes and whatever. Um it I, I'm too used to seeing things like the the Friday the 13th remakes or the Nightmare on Elm Street remakes, which really do where, nothing new. Yeah, they're pretty straightforward. They're in a more modern style, but they tell the same story. They same formula, same notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these movies really carved out their own territory. And I think the looking back years from now that we'll appreciate that about them. I have no doubt that we'll continue to appreciate both of the, the sequels slash reboots that we've talked about tonight. Right. Um, so do we want to talk a little bit about what we feel might have been left off, even though it is, you know, a top 10 and we, I don't think there's really anything we would boot off of here. It seems like everything's pretty good. I would consider booting off Annihilation, but that's not because of its quality, just because of my quibbles with the genre. Right. Um, But I will say (laughs) Mandy. uh, Mandy. Yes. That was exactly (laughs) what came to my mind. Where is Mandy? Where is Mandy? it's hard to for me to think of a top 10 list of 2018 without Mandy. Yeah. So that might be another one where it's hard to pin down in terms of genre. Mandy um, is firmly horror. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit on the thriller side, but it's, I I'd say definitely qualifies the horror. I mean, yeah, there's the whole kidnapping scene and there's the just any like anything from the last third of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a horror, and that that movie is just balls to the wall, insane, and yes, definitely one of the best things I've seen this year. Incredible. So yeah, I would definitely put Mandy on any list that I would draw up for this year. I, I yeah, I I had some trouble thinking of this list without Mandy. That's really the one glaring oversight for me. I don't really have many others to add there, if any. I just think it belongs there. Um, you know, I might put Anna and the Apocalypse up there, but that's a different type of horror. Right. More on the comedy uh side. So uh, I just happen to really, really love it. So um <laughs> <laughs> um there's not really there's a lot of other like decent horror out there but i don't know if it's all like top 10 you know like overlord was this year but i don't right. know if that's top 10 for me um, Overlord was good um the new uh purge movie uh, i thoroughly enjoyed the new purge movie that was good not really a top 10 but a quality movie uh yeah. purge movies just keep getting better in my mind uh, ghost stories was good this year oh i, I love ghost stories that was really mind-bending uh, yeah. a lot of fun i thought ghost stories 
lacked in its like first third. So that's why I wouldn't, it couldn't make top 10 for me. Cause that like first segment didn't do it for me. Uh-huh. But um, after that, it got really good. I thought that part, wherever that thing was with the kid who was the, the like demon that he was following or whatever. And like <laughs> that he saw in the tree. Hilarious. Oh, um, <laughs> and so good. Um, so scary. But yeah, um, but I don't know. You know, missing from this list is the Slender Man movie. Gotta say, <laughs> yeah. If we're talking movies that don't belong anywhere near here in the joint uh, in the horror genre, you know, there's like Friend Request. Um, oh my gosh, was that this year? It came out maybe the end of last year, so okay. maybe 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 it was 2017. Uh, instead, uh, Truth or Dare. Oh then, my gosh, <laughs> Truth or Dare. Truth or Dare would probably be on a bottom ten. For yeah, I think we—that's what we need to challenge ourselves to do—is come up with our bottom ten because oh, there are God. so many bad ones um, yeah. that I think we both watched, including. I mean, we had Winchester this year. Oh, I didn't see that. Fortunately, I heard really bad stuff about that one. We had the Nun. The Nun. Yes, I did. See that. <laughs> I will admit, The Nun, it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I don't know how many times I had to watch an overview of the Abbey set to the same, like, two seconds of score. I was like, I get it. (laughs) The Abbey is scary and it's isolated. And that's the one establishing shot you Um, get. All right. But um, it is pretty, there are, like, it is unlike, I think, any horror experience i have ever had like i was watching it and i was like they just had no idea what this movie was so they just threw everything at the wall there are zombies there are snakes there are ghosts there's a nun i'm like i don't know what's happening ghosts everything i mean throw it all it was impressive yeah to see there's Um, a lot going on that one and i will I think the single funniest moment in horror, excluding intentionally funny horror, such as in an apocalypse was the nun when they are fighting in that pool of water and (laughs) she sees, she breaks like the, the blood of Christ that they have in a vial for some reason. And she breaks it. And (laughs) the nun looks over and sees that the blood has disappeared and goes, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Like, did what the nun are you gonna say, do? Huh? <laughs> huh? What? And then she spits the blood of Christ in her face. What a power move! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, Iconic. That, that movie is so absurd. That was a so <laughs> funny, man. Oh my gosh, yeah. this was the year of unfriended dark web. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up next. Um. Yeah, that this is kind of a mixed bag there. I thought that was actually a pretty good movie. It was uh, good. For what it was. You know, it's like a movie filmed in Skype, basically. But yes, managed to do it pretty well. Um, pretty unique theater experience, too. Basically watching a computer screen on the big screen for an hour and a half. Yeah. But, uh, I well, the it same could be said well. of a... Uh searching this year if you saw that one oh i i still haven't seen that but I, that was really good it's not yeah. horror so it's not but it was a similar conceit yeah that you're basically just watching a computer screen right there were moments of unfriended dark web that were 
legitimately very uh, tense and full of dread. So Yeah, I, I think that movie was kind of undersold by being, first of all, billed as a sequel to Unfriended when it really didn't have anything to do with it other than that they were both online. There, I think there's um, like, I think the Unfriended universe is just going to be about technology basically like black mirror for horror movies kind of yeah but you know i yeah i definitely think that was a little underrated this year i was glad i ended up going to see that because um i i initially didn't have any desire to yeah i was glad i did as well because i i read some good reviews and so i sucked it up and went Mm -hmm. um and i was glad for it it was worth it. It was a good theater experience. It was fun. I had a good time. Definitely one of the most surprising horror films of the year for me in terms of just quality. Yeah. That and the first purge. I really was surprised that I liked the first purge. Um, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It was overall a good year for horror, but there were always some duds. So, mm-hmm. yeah, can't win them all, unfortunately. But, no. uh, we, there was definitely more than enough to uh, keep you busy at the cinema this year. Yes. Um, hopefully, 2019 will have many more horror movies on offer. I hope so. I'm looking forward to it. I can't, off the top of my head, remember what we're expecting, other than I think It, Part 2. Maybe? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. Yeah. I think... Um. I'm sure there's more. Is the new Leprechaun coming out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. I need that in my life. God. Can we get a new... new oh, we are getting Happy Death soon. Day did you. Um, that's yes. happening. Yeah, the Happy Death Day sequel. That's pretty uh, oh, good. the pet, the new Pet Cemetery, which actually looks pretty good. Right, yeah. Um, so we actually do have some stuff happening. Sorry. Are, oh, my gosh. <gasps> you know what's coming out? What? Set for release is Three from Hell, the uh oh yeah, the Devil's Reject sequel. That's gonna be interesting. I am excited about that one. Always love a Rob Zombie movie. I also might have just found out something truly terrible. Hold on. Oh my God, it's happening! On June twenty first, twenty nineteen, we are getting the Sam Raimi produced Grudge. <laughs> what? We're getting a new grudge movie. We're getting a new grudge movie in 2019. Can you believe? Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, Lynn Shay is in it and John Cho. John Cho? What? John Cho, didn't you just come off of searching? You could do better than this. Oh man. Oh my gosh, Jackie Weaver? Hold on. I have <laughs> I have some questions. Damien Bichur is in it? Really? <laughs> What is this? I've missed something. How did this happen? Anyway, grudge is happening. So we'll probably see that at some point. On November 5th, 2018, Sony divulged in the Twitter the first look image of the film. I'm on the Wikipedia, if you can't tell. Um <laughs> that's um <laughs> the first look image. That's really good. Um we're all so we'll dying to... to know what it looks like. I'm sure it's going to be great. What else is it going to be? Yeah. I Well, I for one am excited. I mean, Sam Raimi has decided to be involved. 
That's true. So he uh, believes in this one. Sam Raimi is quality. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And then sometimes there's Spider-Man 3. So. Don't say it. Don't think it. <laughs> don't think it. Don't say it. Don't think it. Don't say it. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. All right. Um, but yeah, um, there should be quite a bit. Oh my of gosh. Okay. Here. For those of you who follow us on Twitter, <laughs> I think I just found the, the tweet with the image. So if I can. Oh my gosh. They tweeted on October 31st. Make sure to lock your doors tonight. Hashtag grudge. And it's just a woman pressed against the glass. <laughs> But it's the verified account, so <laughs> that's a that's a real promotional image right there. I just don't understand. Yeah, so I guess we have all that to look forward to for next year. But uh, it certainly was a great year for horror in 2018, and uh, looking forward to another year of great horror movies me as well i'm excited all right so that that about wraps us up for today um hopefully we'll have some more uh current films to discuss next week but i think it was good to just break down a lot of the recent news items like we did this week and uh as always you can follow us on twitter at buzzed on movies um, you can find us on iTunes and Podbean. Please uh, rate, uh, review the podcast, and subscribe if you're liking what we're putting down. And um, we'll be back to you next week with more Buzzed On Movies. And uh, as always, we'll see you at the movies. See you at the movies. <laughs>